Gary and Beth Foster lived in a ranch house with two small bedrooms, an even smaller kitchen, and a living room filled with a sad ensemble of giveaways and Craigslist purchases. A starter home, the realtor called the house 14 years ago when they bought it. A house to live in for a few years, build up some equity, then sell to raise a family in a more spacious house. More than a decade later, they still remained in their starter home. On the morning after they returned home from the hospital, Gary and Beth sat at their kitchen table. Beth's chair was pushed back a few feet, the upper curve of her belly just visible over the tabletop. A Detroit Tigers mug filled with coffee was in front of Gary, a glass of orange juice in front of Beth, and bowls of Cheerios in front of them both. They were doing more looking at their breakfast than eating. Can you give me a ride at ten? Beth asked. I'm going to head to yoga class. Gary glanced up from his Cheerios. Yoga? I think so, Beth said. Not to work out. When it's over, I'm going to give the girls the news. I'm going to tell them about the brain tumor. You ready? Yeah. I thought about it all night, and I think it's time. They'd planned on telling their close friends yesterday. Instead, they spent the evening alone in the house, just the two of them, trying to make sense of it all. When they weren't crying, they'd searched online for as much information as they could find. Glioblastoma treatment, brain tumor remedies, odds of glioblastoma survival. Everything they read only reiterated the depressing, dismal news Dr. Narita gave them earlier. The cancer spread fast. 85% of people diagnosed with glioblastomas didn't make it a year. It was rare, extremely rare for patients to survive longer than five years. But the situation wasn't hopeless. They'd found a blog from someone who had lived for 20 years since being diagnosed with a glioblastoma. A message board post from another survivor who was diagnosed 10 years ago. Various articles about new treatments that doctors were encouraged by. I just don't know what to say at yoga class, Beth said. How do you tell people about something like this? Just be honest, upfront, direct. I suppose so. I have to tell everyone at some point. Might as well be now. Beth carried her bowl of Cheerios over to the sink and rinsed it out. She gazed out the small window over the countertop out at the front yard. It will be good to get out of the house, she said. There's nothing to do here but sit around and feel sorry for myself. Think about things I don't want to think about. Otto sat in a diner a few blocks from his pawn shop. The interior of the diner was shabby and worn down, with a few old Coca-Cola signs and sun-faded pictures hanging from the walls. Long strips of duct tape were raggedly patched over the booths, covering cracks and rips in the vinyl upholstery. On a chalkboard behind the counter, the day's specials were written in neat cursive writing. Open-faced turkey sandwich. Cobb salad. Minute steak with mashed potatoes. Otto was the only person inside the diner, other than the cook in the back and the waitress reading a paperback book behind the counter. 
A cup of coffee, bottom of the barrel slop, rested on the table in front of him, steam rising from the cup. He lifted the cup but set it back on the table without drinking from it. He pushed it aside so hard that some coffee sloshed out. Nervous. He was so damn nervous. After Otto had waited for five minutes, a guy walked into the diner. The waitress set down her paperback and asked if he needed help, but he ignored her and headed to Otto's booth. Otto watched him approach. The man was six and a half feet tall at least, with a gray-ribbed t-shirt hugging tightly against a chest so massive it looked like he had a bulletproof vest concealed under his shirt. His arms were too thick and defined cannons dangling from his body. He was almost bald, but not quite. His nose was a mangled, crooked mess. He reached Otto's booth and sat down across from him. Otto nodded at the big guy. Thanks for coming, champ, Otto said. He wordlessly nodded back. His name was Robert Smith. He was a retired heavyweight boxer who'd transitioned into a life of crime after his career ended, doing dirty work for whoever hired him. As a boxer, he'd collected a few small purses, but his career ended before he competed for, let alone won, any sort of championship. He had the brute strength, but not the intangibles to go far. Despite never having won anything noteworthy, he told people to call him champ. And when a guy that big told you to do something, you did it. <laughs>